0: wins yeah man y'all got a lot of energy for the earliest service of the day i love this this is great it's so good to be back with you thank you to pastor chris for the invitation and uh we also got to hang out last night to watch a certain basketball game that was going on you know chris said he doesn't care about the super bowl that's our super bowl all right carolina versus duke all right go heels um I'm really excited to be with you guys today and to continue in this series on bold prayers. Uh, when Chris invited me to be a part of this, uh, I, I was reminded of this story of a young girl who was a part of our church congregation named Hannah. She was about eight or nine years old. And one Sunday we were having church outside uh, for a lot of different reasons, an expression that the church is always to move out beyond the walls of a building, right? Uh, To remember that we should be engaged with our communities and that the gospel is always flowing out into our community. So we were set up outside uh, having this service in the middle of our town, and whenever you do something like that, um, there are always so many distractions around, right? People are bringing their pets, which is beautiful. It was, it's wonderful. Um, one time, a man walked behind me while I was preaching shirtless with a cowboy hat on. And I'm like, thank you. Focus. All right. Uh, one of our friends who was a member of the church, uh, a man who was experiencing homelessness, walked up and he was late for church that day. And uh, he saw a chair that was close nearby the communion table that we had set up. And he just pulled a chair up and leaned on the communion table there. I'm like, actually, that's a beautiful sermon right there. Okay, just look at that. Uh, So distractions all around. But in the midst of that, Hannah decided that she was going to uh, not just listen to the sermon that morning, but to try to take notes through the sermon like she had seen her parents do. And so her parents brought me that note, her notes after the service. And I was so honored. And I was like, man, I must be doing an amazing job if an eight or nine-year-old is trying to take notes during my sermon. And then I started to read through (laughs) her notes, all right? Here's what it it said. Grace of Jesus. All right, that's a great start right there, Hannah. Well done, okay. Hope of the gospel, amen. Love of Jesus. Cute white puppy. (laughs) I want a puppy like that. Dear mom, can I please have a puppy like that? Check yes or no. PS, please say yes. PSS, I know the answer is no. All right. I love it. I'm thinking about that and that's not exactly a bold kind of prayer, right? That, that approach right there, that's not really a bold kind of prayer. But as I was thinking about it, actually, I think that there's some rich wisdom in what Hannah had to say right there. And as we think about bold prayers, I think there's some rich wisdom for us coming from an eight or nine year old girl about how we approach God in prayer. Yes, we ask boldly. Yes, we share the desires of our hearts. Yes, we're honest and raw with God about what we are longing for. And at the end of it all, we surrender. At the end of it all, our posture is always this posture of surrender, this open handedness of knowing that our Father knows what is best and desires what is best for us. And so we come to him in that posture of surrender. That's what the bold prayer that we're looking at today is about. It is, a, it is a prayer of surrender. It is a prayer of repentance. It is a prayer of obedience. At its core, at its heart, it is this prayer of surrender. Of a person who had been pushing in a certain direction and then is brought to the place of open, Handed Surrender. Today, we're going to be moving through the, uh, through the book of Jonah. I almost said the gospel of Jonah. Actually, the gospel is all through this, okay? So, it kind of is. Um, but we're going to be moving through the book of Jonah and specifically looking at Jonah chapter 2 and Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish. This prayer of surrender. But as we know, Jonah doesn't begin in a place of surrender, I want to encourage you uh, throughout the week, at some point this week, maybe some of you have already done that in preparation for today, but I want to encourage you to read through the whole book of Jonah. It might sound daunting to read through a whole book of the Bible, but you see this page right here? That's Jonah. It takes eight minutes. To read the whole book of Jonah, literally front and back of one page in our Bibles. I want to challenge you to do that. We're going to move through the whole thing, but I encourage you to read through the whole thing this week. The book of Jonah begins this way. Jonah chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 3. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So why does Jonah run? The word of the Lord comes to this prophet He's given a specific mission, a specific message, and he decides to head in the exact opposite direction. If you look at the map, it's the exact opposite direction, and it says he decides to flee from the Lord. Why does Jonah run? Well, there's some obvious reasons that would come to mind. Nineveh, to us, I mean, that's just an odd-sounding name from the other side of the world, right? But if we look at the biblical context and we look at the historical context of the city of Nineveh, we learn that Nineveh is a large city that has a dreadful reputation for military conquest and brutality. It is a mighty city, the capital city of a mighty nation with a terrible reputation. And so, of course, Jonah would be afraid. It would seem natural for Jonah to be afraid to walk into that kind of environment where he could be absolutely crushed for speaking against this city. But the book actually tells us that's not what Jonah was afraid of. Maybe Jonah was afraid, as we hear in this passage, that it's such a wicked city, and as we study the context, we know it's such a wicked city and hard hearted kind of place. That maybe Jonah thinks, I don't want to go there because I'm going to take this message and it's going to fall onto deaf ears, and I'm going to be a failure as a prophet. I don't want to go into a mission where I know I'm going to fail. Maybe that's what Jonah's afraid of, but the book tells us, No, that's not. What Jonah was afraid of. That would be a reasonable fear, but that's not why Jonah was afraid. If we look ahead to uh, chapter 3, then we get the answer of why Jonah was, actually chapter 4, sorry. Then we get the answer of why Jonah was afraid. Here's what it says. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Why? Because his message worked. Because his mission was a success. We're going to dig into this more as we move through the book. But right up front, we realize Jonah's mission was a success. The people actually repented and turned their hearts to God. And Jonah's answer to that is... He was displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Why does Jonah run? What is Jonah afraid of? He's not afraid of Nineveh's strength. He's not afraid of his failure. He's afraid of God's grace towards others. Here's the problem. Nineveh is a capital city of a mighty nation, but not just any nation. The Assyrian Empire who at the time was the greatest military threat to the people of Israel. They were Jonah's enemy. They were the enemy of Jonah's people, of Jonah's nation. And because of that, he did not want to see them repent. Was Jonah afraid to take a message of judgment to them? No, he was hungry to. He was excited to. He wanted to. He was angry and displeased when God showed them grace and when God showed them mercy. He wanted to take a message and to call God's judgment down on the heads of the people that he hated. They were his enemies. It would have been a massive win for him and for his people to see them wiped off the face of the earth by God's judgment. What he was afraid of was God's grace. What am I afraid of? Are there people in my life that I am afraid that God is going to have too much grace towards? Are there people in my life where I fear God's mercy towards them? Jonah would rather these people be wiped out than to see them become his brothers and sisters. And so he ran in the opposite direction. Oftentimes in the church, I think we get excited about calling people to repentance right? We get excited about bringing this message of people need to repent. We want God to send prophets out into the culture, out into society around us, out into the world around us and call the world to repentance. What God often does first is he sends prophets into the church to call the church to repentance. And this is what Jonah teaches us and often we're very Afraid of that? Are we listening? Are we willing to listen when God starts to call the church to repentance? Or do we want Him just to call the world to it? But He always starts with us, He always begins. With us, much like Jonah, uh, many of us have stories in our lives where we've sensed God's conviction on something or we've sent, sensed God's direction on something and we have hesitated. At times more than hesitated, at times we have purposely charted a course in the exact opposite direction to try to move against what God is pushing us into. We're afraid of what it's going to ask of us, we're afraid of what surrender is going to look like, and so we start moving in the opposite direction. And have you discovered whenever you do that in your life, what you experience is not freedom, but frustration? Over and over again, you will experience frustration. You're seeking freedom, but you're running headfirst into frustration. Because God is too kind to allow you to be satisfied with anything less than His will for your life. He loves you too much to allow you to be satisfied in anything other than Him. And He will frustrate your life to bring you into alignment with his heart. And that's not his judgment against you. That's not just his wrath against you. That's his rescue for you. That's his love for you. And he will frustrate your life to bring you into alignment with his heart. This is what he does for Jonah. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. God uses a storm. God uses a crew of pagan sailors. God ends up using a great fish swallowing Jonah to redirect Jonah's path. And each of those things look like the wrath of God. They are also the rescue of God in Jonah's life redirecting his life and taking him to the place where jonah needs to be eventually jonah comes to this place of praying one of the most bold prayers you can possibly pray the prayer of surrender And the prayer of repentance. It says this in Jonah chapter 2. This is the heart of the book. This is the turning point of the whole book. And the bold prayer of Jonah. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it spit Jonah onto dry land amen Amen. the whole turning point of the book a bold prayer perhaps the most bold prayer you can pray one of surrender and one of repentance i notice if you've got your bibles open um I notice something interesting about this prayer. For one, you can hear it as it's being read or as you're reading it. You can hear that this is a poetic and lyrical kind of prayer, right? And if you look in your Bible, you can see that it's formatted that way. It's laid out like a poem or like a song, much like the Psalms, right? One of the Psalms that you would find here in the Old Testament. Very similar kind of feel, language, and layout of this. This reads like worship. This reads like worship, and it is. And the reality is that the most authentic form of worship we can offer to God is surrender and repentance and obedience. And that's what we get laid out right here in this beautiful prayer. The repentance and the surrender that we see here in this prayer becomes the turning point of the whole story. This is the great reversal from the depths of despair as we see the story moving towards this direction of simple yet radical obedience and that obedience ends up changing the whole story here's what we see happening next then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time I love that I love that this is the grace of God he will not quit he will not give up on you This is the grace of the Lord. What looked like wrath has become rescue, and now the word comes back again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time with the same message. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, a symbol of their fasting and a symbol of repentance and turning. It's incredible. This is absolutely miraculous. What we know about the city of Nineveh from history and from scripture, what we know about the Assyrian Empire, this is a miracle. For the entire city to respond to this message, not with military wrath, not with rejection and running him out of town or worse, but to respond with repentance to receive this word of the Lord and for an awakening to move throughout the city of Nineveh and to see the whole thing overturned. It really was overturned, not in the way Jonah hoped. But this revival that moves through the entire city, renewal that moves through the entire city. It tells us that the king himself issues a decree of repentance and all of the people followed and joined in and turned their hearts toward the God of Israel. This is a miracle on par with a person getting swallowed by a giant fish and living to tell about it. (laughs) This is the greatest miracle you find in this book. It's beautiful. And doesn't this capture your imagination? Doesn't this stir your heart? What if something like this happened in your community? Can you imagine that? Do you long for that? Do you pray for that? To see something like this, to sweep through your community, a renewal where people, their hearts are just turned back to the Lord and they're hungry for God and they're open to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The reality is the only way that this happens is through repentance. And our initial thought is, yes, we see it's the repentance of the king of Nineveh leading the way. And then the repentance of all the people of Nineveh. Yes, but it doesn't actually start there. Where does it start? Jonah's repentance. It begins with Jonah's repentance. Nineveh's renewal begins with Jonah's repentance. Jonah's turning point becomes Nineveh's turning point. A lot of times we get really passionate about calling for repentance from the culture. We get passionate about pointing out all of the sin that is out there and the way that the sin out there is dismantling our society and taking our society in a place where we don't wanna see it go. And so we get passionate about pointing that out and calling that out. But that's never the starting point for renewal in a community. God always begins with us. God always calls for repentance from us first. And transformation didn't begin with the king of Nineveh or the people of Nineveh. It started with Jonah, God's own prophet, who was called to repentance first. Repentance is the irreducible infrastructure of renewal. It always starts there. And it always starts with us first. The greatest obstacle to renewal in a place is not an environment out there that is hostile towards Christianity. It's an environment here within me of prideful Christianity. And if I'm not willing to have my eyes open about the places where the Holy Spirit is pinpointing in my life, the conviction that the Holy Spirit is speaking into my life, the direction that the Holy Spirit is speaking into my life, then I can't hope for it to happen out there. It starts with us, it starts with us. I'm not sure which is more tragic, the person out there who has yet to realize their desperate need for grace, or me who often forgets my desperate need for grace. It always starts with us. Renewal begins with repentance and repentance starts with us. Jonah's prayer is a bold prayer. Maybe the most bold prayer you can pray. One of surrender and one of repentance. We realize though that the risk keeps going. Surrender's risky enough, repentance is risky enough. But we realize that when we're following Jesus, the risk keeps going. And we're already starting to do the math and we're already starting to realize what this might end up requiring for us. And we realize that when we ask for forgiveness from God, what might be waiting on the other side of that? Which is that God's gonna ask us to forgive as well. He doesn't only ask us to repent. He also asks us to forgive. And that might feel like the most risky thing we can possibly do. (laughs) Surrender is scary enough. Repentance is scary enough. But we know what Jesus is going to call us into next. We see that in Jonah chapter four, he actually fails at this point. He is angry, he is still bitter. About the people coming into relationship with God. He hasn't let go and he can't move to that place of forgiveness. And we see as we read through the book that holding on to that is creating bitterness in him that is choking out joy and choking out hope and choking the life out of him to the point where he doesn't even want to live anymore, despite the miracle that he's just witnessed of God's mercy. A failure to forgive and a refusal to forgive will do that to us. I know it goes against our most basic instincts. But when Jesus said, come follow me, and when Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me, what does the cross represent? His love, his grace, his mercy, absolutely, and his forgiveness. It is the symbol of our faith. And you cannot follow Jesus for long. You cannot walk in the way of Jesus for long without tripping over the call to forgive. And perhaps that's what the Holy Spirit is stirring in some hearts this morning. It's the next brave step. Forgiveness is our response to redemption. You've been forgiven. Now, who is next? Now, we do realize that when God calls us to forgive freely, that does not mean easily. I realize that can be a very painful and very difficult thing. And we also need to be really clear. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness cannot be earned because we aren't the ones who paid for it. Jesus paid for it. But trust has to be earned in your life. So if there's a relationship right now that you're thinking of and you think I'm pushing you into forgiveness of someone who has been manipulative, who has been hurtful, who has been damaging in your life, who has even painfully been abusive in your life, forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. That doesn't mean you let that person back into your life and you give that person power in your life again. God's not asking you to do that. He's giving you freedom in that area of your life. Part of that freedom will mean to give that person forgiveness that they don't deserve. It does not mean to give them trust that they haven't earned. Keep that distinction really clear in what he's asking you to do. But he does call us into forgiveness, surrender, repentance, and forgiveness the undeniable signs of the unrivaled reign of God's grace in our lives. There's only one way that this is possible though. And it actually comes to us, as you might expect, from the mouth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, we get another mention of our friend Jonah. We know Jonah is an Old Testament prophet, but here he shows up in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus is speaking about his story, and it says this, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus, and they said, teacher, we want a sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see the connection Jesus is making there? The people of Nineveh will stand up at judgment against this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now someone greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus makes this powerful connection. It says the entire sweep of the story of Scripture has been pointing ahead to him, to who he is and to what he came to do. And Jesus says, my mission is similar to the mission of Jonah and the memory you have of Jonah. I will go to the cross, sacrifice my life, lay down my life. I will be buried down into the depths of the earth for three days, and I will be raised back up. Just like Jonah was taken down into the depths and then brought back up, and what looked like wrath became rescue, the same is true for what Jesus has come to do, laying down his life on the cross, being buried in the grave, and being raised up in resurrection, power, and victory. Surrender is not possible through your strength. Repentance isn't possible through your strength. Forgiveness isn't possible through your strength. There's only one way that is possible. It is through the life and the death and the life again of Jesus Christ. And he offers that to you today. For those of you who need to receive that forgiveness, it is yours freely through the grace of Jesus. For those who need to express repentance He is inviting you into that. And he's inviting you in to a redirection of your life. To repent means, literally means to turn. You were moving in one direction and now you're moving in alignment with him. That's possible through the grace of Jesus. And for those who need to forgive today, it's only possible through the grace of Jesus. But he's offering you that power through his death, through his resurrection, alive in you. The world is dying to see this. But the world will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus until they see the resurrection of you. He has come to raise you up again and to be the sign of Jonah in your community of what is possible. He wants that for you and he wants that for this town and it's possible through him. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and let's seal this time in worship this morning. Jesus. We are yours. We thank you for the reality and the hope of who you are. We thank you for the power of your death on the cross, your burial in that grave, and the power that overcame the grave in resurrection victory. And we ask that you would do the same pray the most bold prayer you can pray. We say we surrender to you. In the places where we need to repent, God, we say we repent. And we know that's where renewal can begin for us and for all around us. And we ask you to give us the power to forgive as we have been forgiven. a power that can only